All right. Welcome, guys, to this special For the Kudos episode. This is a special episode in the lead up to Sydney Marathon about the performance mindset, really. Um, I'm joined with my co-host, Brett, and sports or well, performance psychologist, Dean Cooper. How are you, Dean? Very well, Joel. Thanks for having me. No worries at all. So we thought uh, Brett and I had been speaking and quite a lot in, in our podcast, we try and give a, a lot of advice and most of the time we don't know what the hell we're talking about. <laughs> you debunk everything we've ever said. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and yeah, so for the listeners that don't know, I've been pretty open with you know my mental health sort of uh, stuff that I've been working through as an athlete and you are my psychologist. So mm-hmm. I thought it would make perfect sense to have my actual psych on the show um, and obviously Brett being, you know, is not only running Sydney Marathon but Australian Marathon record holder. So he knows as as good as anybody how hard a marathon is and I don't because I haven't done one. So Neither have I, don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I thought just before we we get stuck in to the nitty gritty of the uh, of the episode, um, tell us a little bit about your how you got in, into this line of work. Sure. Um, so as Joel said, I'm a performance psychologist. Um, my story came from probably being a hopeful athlete when I was younger. Baseball was my sport, um, which was a terrible choice baseball. in hindsight. Yeah, baseball in Australia. So mm. um, grew up playing that until I was about 18 and then blew my arm to pieces, I had an elbow reconstruction and then that kind of changed the path a little bit and then, yeah, fell in love with psychology um, and as soon as I realised sport and psych would go together, it was just a no-brainer and I knew that's where I wanted to go. So probably six years of study later over probably 10 to 12 years to be <laughs> yeah. honest, uh, I finished up and, and now I'm working as a performance psychologist across a few different spaces around Melbourne. Yeah. And so you work, you know, because I think in our, we're obviously athletes, so we always call them sports psychs, but mm-hmm. you work with athletes, but also, you know, business people, anyone who I suppose wants to perform better in, in something. Is that yeah, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So some of the bigger groups are, you know, athlete sport, we've got performing artists, business, CEO, C suite, um, but also performance is quite broad. Everything we do in some sense is a performance. Like, a conversation yeah. is a performance, uh, how we show up at work, how we show up in relationships. So it can be quite broad uh, in that sense, but yeah, Interesting. predominantly working in that athlete space. Yeah. Well, I suppose Brett is a, Brett's the athlete representative and I'm the performance artist <laughs> representative. <laughs> <laughs> Not doing too much running at the moment. Um, yeah, no, great. Sounds good. Joel ever um, in his... I don't know if you can talk about it. In his psych appointments, talked about what he's going to do when this movie comes out and how the fame's going to go to his head. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, there was hints. <laughs> I think, um, I don't know if you've talked about, uh, you might have spoken about it, but our uh, second session, I think it was, um, Joel turned up and there were some, some warning signs and it was probably five minutes into the session he told me he's had about six coffees before, <laughs> yeah. before the session. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds about right. It seems so, like a normal Joel thing to say as well. Like. I've, I've definitely said that to you before <laughs> yeah. some episodes. I'm like, just beware, I've had about six coffees. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've only had five coffees before this episode, so oh, I think beautiful. we're fine. We're fine. Um, I actually think we went, I remember that day. I reckon, I reckon we went to coffee. That's, uh, yeah, that's yeah. exactly what it was. It was yeah. right near the where the mine, mine room is in... Collingwood yeah. and I had had a uh, you messaged me and I'm like I've already had a coffee and then I was thinking shit do I want another coffee I'm going to go <laughs> yeah. in we're, we were joking that like I'm going to walk in like Kramer off <laughs> and you're going to be like this guy's a fucking head case yeah. so I missed something the first time <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah perfect well let's just get straight into things we're going to break break this uh, episode into sort of three three segments um, one sort of like the lead up to the race which is you know the listeners can start um, adapting and listening to that this sort of right now when the episode comes out. Um, and then the night before morning of the race, that's the sort of next thing we'll go into. And then the last is obviously during the race. Um, we thought, yeah, I, re- I just realized now you, there could be a post-race one about not letting... Yeah. Not letting uh, your amazing performances go to your <laughs> yeah. head because yeah, hopefully yes. everyone running Sydney is going to run absolutely amazing. <laughs> so but that's why we, we'll, we cut that out. After this podcast, they will. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. Um, so kicking us straight off, 
Uh, Brett and I were sort of yeah breaking down breaking down some things that we like wanted your advice on. Um, and what you know, first point is how would you not let a poor workout impact your confidence um, you know especially when all your other training has been going well and I find that like athletes have short memories with their training um, even you know in some of the practice I've done with you I you know you've made me realize that where it's like hang on you've done three three four months of like good stuff and then it's like oh but I got sick last week and it's like oh now I'm shit now I've fallen off the horse and that sort of thing mm. yeah it's really hard uh, it's a good question and I think the short answer is you'll never not be able to let poor performances or a poor run or, you know, a poor workout influence your emotions or, or confidence in some way, shape or form. Um, that's probably the, the last thing you want to hear from a psychologist mm. and you're probably thinking this is the worst like ever giving that advice but um, it's the honest truth. Like if you go out, you go out to have a run and three steps in, you hit a twig and roll your ankle the first thought in your mind isn't yes this is a challenge like i'm so stoked about this first thought is like (laughs) shit like yeah this is this sucks this is horrible and so it's about i guess shifting here from dropping a bit of a fight like if that comes up that's okay but how do we accept the fact that it's going to suck and our confidence isn't always going to be 10 out of 10 as opposed to i need my confidence to be perfect you know Mm. i need to protect my confidence at at every stage because that's where we get stuck. Um, like I might even throw a bit of use because yeah. some of our work around confidence. I, mean, I spoke, spoke exactly about this. It was mm. when we were dealing with like thresholds and stuff and like how – so on the on the podcast, you know, we get asked how do you deal with pain a lot and, and um, yeah. Brett's, you know, one thing that, you know, the pink flamingos thing mm. and it's like become a bit of a podcast joke that it was like, you know, thinking about pink flamingos. I don't know if I ever told you that and, the, no. and it's, it's, it was like a distraction technique. But then one thing we spoke about was like sort of acknowledging when you are in places of discomfort and it's like, okay, I'm doing this. I've chosen to do this threshold workout or marathon workout, whatever it is. This feels uncomfortable. Mm. You sort of acknowledge it and and then it like passes as opposed to putting up that wall and fighting it, you know. Mm. Is that? Yeah. No, it's it's excellent. It's a really good strategy. Like uh, I think – focus is so important when it comes to those things, especially around pain. And I I know we'll probably touch on that a little bit, but um, yeah, where your focus goes makes a huge, huge difference. And I think, you know, if you're getting stuck on confidence, like if your focus is I'm feeling pain or I'm not confident today, this is going to be tough. It will be tough for sure. Like you've already guaranteed that. And, you know, speaking to the other end of confidence, we speak about it as if it's this holy grail, like it's this amazing thing and it feels fantastic don't get me wrong we all like to feel confident but you know one thing that we worked on when we first started working together Joel was your confidence often got you in a place where it was more problematic than less problematic <laughs> what you love that Brent <laughs> <laughs> keep your mouth shut boy. <laughs> and no, so for sure. it, it's not always this amazing positive thing it's nice when we have it but that's not the thing that's going to make a difference really yeah. it, it's how we respond to being confident or not confident definitely yeah, I find yeah, and that's something we worked out is like rather like the peaks and troughs. Mm. You know, you know, you don't want to like yeah, just because you're super confident doesn't mean it's like a direct parallel to performance. It's yeah. it's yeah, it, it's mm. interesting. It's funny what you said a bit before about short memories. I remember when I ran London at the start of the year, and like my performance was okay, but not quite as good as I thought. And I was just like. And I went through my training and then I went through my training for my other marathons and I was just like, I realized every single one had been like up and down. Like I thought, I was thinking like when I ran this run record, it was perfect lead up. Mm. The race before that was perfect lead up. I went back and looked at it. They were like terrible. <laughs> if you look at it really like, <laughs> no, it was like a lot of ups and downs. Definitely had like bad patches, but yeah, I was just for some reason. And so I feel like that's uh, when you do have a bad performance, you can, if you go back and look at other ones, I'm sure you've had bad um, workouts before good races as well. Exactly. Yeah. But you forget mm-hmm. about it. You just think about, oh yeah, I ran this time. I must have trained perfect. Before. Yeah. It's like instantly forget. Like hind- yeah, when you look at looking back. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's like or it's, you have a bad racing. Like oh yeah, my lead up must have been terrible. It was probably perfect. Like, it's sort of unrelated. <laughs> Do you ever miss high school? Because <laughs> um, yeah, like yeah. me and my mates, oh yeah, talk but you about, hate it at the time. We yeah, yeah we yeah, always yeah. talk about fuck. We'd love to go back to high school. Jeez, remember those days? It's like. You fucking hated it at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, you're waiting to finish. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a really good point. Like, because when you look back in hindsight, you usually, the first thing is the outcome. Mm. Like, if someone asks you, how do you go in London? You're not going, I had three weeks of good training, yeah. two days at work, yeah. or good. You're just like, oh, I ran this time. Mm. It's so easy to get stuck on those outcomes yeah. and, and whatever emotions attached to it, yeah. positive or negative. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, you're right. There's so much more in there. Yeah. I think like breaking the, like, looking at the block as a whole instead of just one bad session shouldn't just throw you off yeah. completely. So, Which it can do and that's you know, yeah. speaking to that point of confidence, that's what it can do because yeah. all of a sudden if you have a bad race or a bad event or whatever it might be, as soon as then you link this to confidence, you're going to have those ups and downs. You're going to move up and down every day. Mm. Like, Even think about one full day of your life. There's probably periods where you're feeling amazing and confident there'll be periods in that day where you feel like absolute rubbish and mm. so if we're basing our performances on those things like it's a roll of the dice really mm. whereas you take away the confidence you're looking at competence like do i actually have the skills to do this do mm. i am i working to build those skills if you're doing that confidence doesn't really have to play a role fuck so this is what we, without you, we, if, what would we have been saying? <laughs> like I just want, really want to know. We would have been like, yeah, make sure you're confident on race day. It's like, <laughs> just <like> debunked. <laughs> um, uh, I'll go. I was going to say like, I feel like a few weeks before a marathon, like my confidence is like through the roof. Like and mm. my self belief. Like I, I don't know. Probably get into this like inner arrogance a little bit where I'm just like, I remember thinking before and I'm like, no one in Australia in any sport trains harder than me like and I'm going to this race I'm like there's no one that trains harder than me but then like a few days before the race I start going do I do enough training like I start questioning it like but why does that happen like why does how does it change so quickly yeah so what are you feeling at that point in time like you you explain your thoughts really well there like thoughts start to go to doubt but mm. when you get close to a race what changes feeling wise for you um i I guess I'm, yeah, maybe getting scared of the what I don't. Know, I guess if I race bad, I'm getting scared of racing bad, maybe a little bit. Yeah, yeah right. So I can imagine nerves and, and anxiety yeah, nerves start probably, to yeah. to get up a little bit or, or start to creep mm. up. And when we're nervous or when we're anxious, that, that that feeling represents a threat. So our body and our brain are going something probably valuable is aligned to this thing, and for some reason it's in danger. And so yeah. when you're getting close to a race you're thinking of everything that could go wrong and yeah. would go wrong and self-doubt creeps in. So it's a really natural process. It's actually one of the most important functions of our brain. So this is the part that has kept us safe and evolving for however long um, as humans or, or to develop into a human. And so this part, if we are, let's look at it through the lens of, I'm going to pause and come back. Yeah. So um, I think in terms of anxiety and stress responses. Um, if you're getting close to a race, anxiety increases. So body perceives a threat. And then if there's a threat, there's a lot of utility in us then going through and seeing what could go wrong or what has gone wrong in the past. So if we think of a, a really obvious threat, like there's a lion or a tiger or something in the room, your brain is immediately gonna go to negatives or what we think are negatives. So I'm gonna die, how do I get out of here? this is really uncomfortable, this sucks, I don't like this, we just play it out. Last time I was near a tiger, someone died, whatever it might be. So we start to play those things out. And so when you're in these moments where you're getting anxious, you're getting stressed, your mind is going to take you there. And it's doing that to try and keep you safe. It's trying to protect you, Yeah. but it's the worst possible thing and it sucks and it feels uncomfortable as well. So it's a natural response, it's really hard, but it's actually really helpful because if there's a tiger in the room and your brain goes, no, nah, I think we're cool, like I like this, I feel comfortable, mm. now you're in trouble. Mm. All the time when I didn't get it and I was leading New York Marathon by 200 metres yeah. and then because I, I just thought I'll just run away and win it and mm. then, that's the equi- and then that's 10k later I was blowing up and could barely yeah. get to the finish line. Like, right. That's the yeah. equivalent of the tiger being in the room and you going, fuck that tiger. I'm yeah, I'm made to that tiger. tiger. Yeah, I'm made to that tiger. <laughs> <laughs> and at 10k, the tiger came and found you yeah. <laughs> and tore you to pieces. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I just I just remember before London, like it was just like a crazy thing. Like I was just like so confident in my training in the lead up, and then a few days before, I was just like starting to think maybe I just took training too easy, or like and like when I think back, I was like 
like I was so tired in my training, like because I was training so hard and like doing all the right things. But then, like, and then a few days later, I'm thinking, yeah, I was training too easy back then. But obviously, I wasn't. Do you think yeah. it can be something to do with when you are like, say you're in Melbourne, right? And you're thinking this is when you're super confident and you're just like, no, nah, nothing can stop me. I'm training harder than anyone's ever been trained before, as you said. But then when you change environments and you're at the race mm. hotel, then it's sort of all like you're seeing other athletes and then it's like you, you that, Maybe, the environment yeah. changes a little bit and then it's like you become a bit more vulnerable. You're like, oh shit, here I am. It's time to perform. Doesn't really matter how I was feeling two weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. It's, it all changes. And I wonder if like that, you know, the listeners, there's a lot of listeners from all around Australia um, racing Sydney that aren't necessarily from Sydney. So it's like you can, you know, they can be in Melbourne in their environment, everything's all good and they feel all relaxed and it's like they take that flight to Sydney and they're at that race hotel two nights before and it's like, fuck, it's real. Mm. Yeah. yeah, very real, very quickly as well. And you're right, it's a complete change of environment. So the things that you're used to, the things that, bring you comfort are often missing. So a lot of strategies might be around bringing things from home or, or finding your rhythm or your routine. Yeah. Like I'm, That's why I'm Brent sh- brings his teddy bear to races. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I was wondering. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but like I'm sure, Brett, you've got that down to some kind of an art. Like I'm sure you've got a routine, rough routine the night before. Yeah, it is definitely the, or, when I feel like the routine is definitely when that gets thrown out of whack, then that's where I like start struggling and like not training as good and stuff. So... I'm definitely like a routine person. Yeah, yeah. But I think and ultimately it's not a matter of I guess going in not getting surprised by these things. When you're getting up into the lead up into a race a few days before, when you're on the flight, when you're traveling to the race, your mind is going to say, you did this wrong, you forgot about this, what about these things? And so I guess the, a big element here is not getting surprised by that. Like you can go in and go, okay, for the next three days, my brain's going to be, Mm. picking every little thing apart mm. and part of that's helpful because it might go through and sift through and then it will find that one thing and you go oh shit I didn't pack my shoes yeah, and then you yeah, go and put your yeah. shoes in your bag and that's sorted but for the rest of the time you can go in and go okay I know what's happening now my brain's trying to help me it doesn't feel good but it's helpful like the, there's some purpose to it so you don't have to just fight against it that whole time mm. and trying to hide away no it's actually doing a really good job yeah I found I found like the, the biggest thing I like have learned from like working with you and having these you know psych sessions is it's not it doesn't really change how my mind works it's more you learn at times like that it's like oh now i know why my brain is the like the brain isn't going to change how as you said like the thoughts are going to come and stuff but it's like before knowing that they're normal right so it's like if as you just said you know if you're an athlete that's racing sydney and these thoughts come in it's like don't you know, start compounding stress and be like, oh shit, what the hell? It's like, well, this is my a natural response. I'm supposed to feel like this, blah, 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 blah. And then I think that makes you far more relaxed. And that's sort of what I tell when I tell my athletes, like this is, you know, transitioning into sort of night before morning of the race, which is where Brett, Brett and I as coaches have um, have calls with our athletes, you know, who are all mm. freaking out the, the before and stuff. And we talk about, you know, they're like, I'm so nervous and all this and that. And it's like, so you should be. Mm. You know, don't fight that. Don't think, oh, fuck, I'm nervous. Oh, shit, why am I nervous? Does, it's like, well, you, you care about the race. You care about the performance. You've done all this work. It's okay to be nervous. And then when I tell athletes that, they're like, oh, okay. Oh, and it's sort of like an awakening. It's like, oh, I can use this. As mm. It's not, you know, everyone's going through the same thing. Everyone here is nervous. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm a human. Like I'm experiencing a very human thing at that point in time. I'm not crazy. I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm just a human experiencing what it's like to be in a stressful situation. Like it, it makes a big difference. Just understanding it is a really big, big yeah. key element. Yeah. Yeah. Would you say there's anything that we haven't touched on, um, any sort of advice that you can think of, a couple of key points um, just before we move into that night before morning of the race, you know, any techniques and practices that you would sort of recommend in the lead up to race day? You know, two weeks out, is there anything, you know, I said here, um, is there like some tips to take things day by day and or, you know, is it a waste of energy to wake up every morning thinking about the big day that's in two weeks? Because I know mm. like when you, I remember on the podcast and I think you only said it in, you know, after the fact of when you broke the Aussie record. But I remember, I'm sure either it was in conversation or it was on air um, that you were sort of like, you know, thinking about it every day mm. in the lead up. And it was like, you know, for three weeks, 
four weeks or whatever, you'll wait every run. You were sort of being like, no, this is because you knew that Fukuoka was the chance to break the Aussie record, you know, and you knew that that was the race. It was all pretty much set up for you to break that record. And so it's like you were thinking it. And I remember, yeah, you said something like you're thinking it every, every run, it comes into your mind. You, you might not be thinking about it the entire run, but at least once a day it's coming yeah. in. Like is that normal or mm. it is? Yeah. Absolutely. Like, I mean, I can imagine in that two-week period, it's probably nothing you could have done to stop you yeah. from thinking about that. Like it's such a big moment. It's so much work has gone into it. So I don't want to default back to the too bad it's going to happen yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. thing, but it will. Like y- your mind will go there. But and hearing I think, that, hearing you say that is so much better than me. Saying yeah, that. right. Like if we just say it's like, well, you you study this, you know more about this than than anyone that we've ever had on the podcast. I think, yeah, right. And and so it doesn't mean you can't do anything about it, but like these things will come up, and often where you can go to is like let's say it's two weeks out. Well, what can I bring back to? today what what's the purpose of this week what am i doing in the next six hours what's the next training session devoted to at least now i've got something to anchor my focus back to so yes i'm going to get constantly pulled back to that big event but maybe i can build some steps in between so okay it's two weeks away but that's 10 more training sessions or whatever it might be so what am i actually doing in training today okay i'm working i don't know i'm doing a threshold or whatever it might be okay that's where my energy is like i can really lean into this yeah and Rather I'll than thinking back. every step, oh, this is all about my training for yeah. in three weeks. It's like let's just focus. It's like that zoning in. Yeah, I feel like I'm like pretty good at going day by day until I do my last long run and my last big session, which is probably like ten days out, probably. And then I have that like next ten days, like just it drags out, and like it's just I'm just thinking about the race because everything mm-hmm. else is just like little runs to make me feel good. To get to the yeah, race, it's, all and the it's work like is done. it feels like nothing. Yeah. Like, mm. um, so that's the part I find really tough. That and that's last, the part, like, week. and that's the part that the listeners are going to be going through pretty much when this episode comes out. Yeah. They, they would that like a lot of them um, are doing their last fight. So we're recording this on Friday, the first of September, just for the listeners to to understand. And a lot of people are going to be doing their last like workouts this weekend. Yeah. Mm. So when this comes out next week, they are going to be in that state of taper. Right. So then I guess the, the question I'll throw to you, Brett, first is what have you done in those two weeks that's helped in the past? Like all those last 10 days or you've, got, you've gone over those big, big ones and then your mind, I can imagine in the periods where you're sitting, sitting home, not doing much, your mind's going straight there. Mm. Has anything helped you? Well, I feel like what usually happens is I get, first I get lazy mm. and like I go, all right, the work's done. I'm just got to get to the race now. So I like I sleep in, I get out of bed, go for my run. Like we usually like get out up two hours before I run and like do all my stuff where I kind of go lazy, have a few bad runs and sessions and then I'm like, all right, I have to get my focus back and then I just go, all right, if I'm doing a 30-minute run, I'll treat it like I'm doing a session kind of thing and just I put as much emphasis on those runs in that last week as I do for my big long runs, my big marathon sessions. Yeah, interesting. So it sounds like often doing more helps you than doing less. Like even though you're doing less volume-wise, yeah. like you, you're cutting down volume, but it's actually the periods where you said like you're, you're getting lazy or you're going, oh, I'm supposed to be resting. I'm not supposed to be doing anything. Mm. And then you sit there and you probably just spin and your brain goes everywhere. And I'm sure this happens to everyone else because it happens to me too. I've got something big coming up, same thing. If I sit there and don't do anything and don't have anything to engage with, I can't help but think about that yeah. thing. And mm. I, I just work and work and work. And when you're anxious, your heart rate's going, your breath rate's going, you're actually burning a lot of energy mm. just sitting there doing nothing. And, yeah. and so finding something to do, like, yes, it might be a passive activity. You're not going to go and do something crazy, but what can you do to keep yourself focused? What can you do to engage in something other than running yeah. in that period? So that's, I guess, the advice is don't just sit there and think you can't do anything for two weeks. It's probably going to drain you and exhaust mm. you more than doing some things that are engaging, like go and see a friend, do go something. To, go to the movies. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I, and I think just like as well, even just specifically to the training, just because um, you're saving, I guess, an hour. Instead of doing a nine-minute run, you're doing a 30-minute run, but still use that hour to do something to do with training. If it's a bit of stretching, a bit of foam rolling, because that's also a recovery thing that will help for – So, and I find doing that, makes me 
yeah, feel better for my runs, which then, because I think once I start feeling lazy and feeling bad, then it kind of spirals out. But if you do the positive things, you kind of go upwards. Yeah. And I guess it, it keeps you in that routine a little bit yeah. more too. So yeah. you're not changing so much in that two weeks where there's already a lot of change. Like you're already deloading, yeah. you're potentially traveling. If you can cons- you keep that consistency. Break, usually the two weeks before the race, stop smoking as well. So yeah, it breaks up oh, his routine beautiful. as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just to get the lungs More like stress <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, let's transition straight into like that night before morning of the race. Um, what are some tips in and ways to relax the body um, and mind, you know, the night before the race when you're likely to be in that state of stress? Um, and, you know, is there any ways to sort of ha- how to protect yourself from being overwhelmed? And like I know one thing, Brett, when we raced Launceston half marathon last year, that was like I feel like the last time we raced each other, um, we were rooming together and we were doing the the um, sleep thing, that sleep thing, yeah. you know. And it's like we both had really good runs. Yeah, and it's definitely like you know that was just a podcast, a breathing technique sort of thing. Mm. Um, yeah, is it just something like that, like a meditation or? I yeah, I listened to a like a sports performance meditation I don't know I like I've literally had it on my phone for 10 years mm. and I listened to it before races and kind of in with big races like I'll listen to it pretty much every night for a few weeks in the lead up to it awesome. um which I feel helps me I guess like that's also a bit before about like the um not wasting energy thinking about the race like that's kind of like my time to think about exactly what's going to I want to happen in the race but then outside of then it's maybe a little bit in my runs, but outside of that, I don't really think about it as much. Yeah, no, I think it's a great strategy. Do you um, mean in the meditation, you're thinking about your run. It's a oh, it's a yeah, one it's of those one. It's like ones. I'm literally thinking, oh, visualizing okay. the race. Gotcha. Yeah. So here I'm thinking about the the, the no, it's the, a different one, different yeah. one. Yeah. Like we're talking about the you know the seat. Like I gave you, the, I gave you that one, bro. Listen to my one. Your one was like a, <laughs> getting all drowsy, <laughs> sleepy. <laughs> The only reason you beat me is I was too sleepy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um, no, I think they they create strategies, and it's interesting they're both very different strategies. So one's around it's almost anchoring your focus to okay, what am I going to be doing tomorrow? What's that look like? What's that feel like? The other one is just getting very present. So your focus is being anchored to your breath or, or your senses and what you're feeling, and it's a really good way. So if you find you're spiraling the night before and you can't sort of switch those thoughts off, um, it's not about just removing everything in the room, not having light or, or whatever it might be. Like that stuff's important. Like sleep hygiene's very important. But when your mind starts to race... Sleep hygiene. Sleep hygiene. So wow. this you never is, heard that? I've never heard that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My, no, one, I haven't slept in months. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so, you're watching TikToks before you sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I should go over sleep hygiene. <laughs> But some of the basic things are light and temperature. Like they're the two things I like to start with. So um, your body's natural winding down process, how it likes to shut itself off, generally starts with light input. So if there is a lack of light coming in, your brain starts to, your body starts to produce melatonin or release melatonin and that's kind of your sleep chemical. It it winds you down, gets you ready for sleep. Um, And same thing with temperature. So if the temperature of the room starts to drop, that's also your body's cue to go to sleep. So Mm, they're two really easy things to manipulate in the environment to help you increase your chances of sleeping. Um, So those things are are good, like try and do those things if possible. Um, The other piece on light that Brett sort of touched on here is it doesn't matter if it's light from the sun or light from your phone. Yeah, Your brain doesn't know how to distinguish those things. Um, so what if, they're, on what if they're watching FTK Instagram videos? Is that, <laughs> is that okay? That is the only <laughs> exception. Yeah, do, you know if, do you know if the night shift on um, the iPhone helps? Helps? Yeah, absolutely. I changed my mind yesterday to 6 p.m. Because oh, they used beautiful. to be at like 8.30, but I moved it back to 6. Yeah. You're not willing to stop the TikToks. You're just happy to have a filter. For <laughs> yeah. <them>. yeah. <laughs> so it stops the light. What it won't stop is those little dopamine hits. Yeah, yeah. So if it's a message or a notification or TikTok, Instagram, those little dopamine hits will keep going and they'll also probably keep you up yeah. a little bit longer. Yeah, um, wow. But it does help with the light. Mm-hmm. So it's similar to having blue light glasses. It filters out some of that light, yep. which definitely helps. Um, but in terms of actual processes... One thing that I usually go to is what can we anchor our focus to that's going to wind us down rather than get us wound up. So phone, generally going to keep us engaged. Music depends on the music and song. Like we'll all have different 
artists that we'll go to to get us maybe hyped up or that we really enjoy. If you're going to bed, you can use music, but find something that's probably boring. Yeah, um, same like with the pod- ambient. Sort yeah. Of- yeah, hundred yeah. um, percent. Podcasts. So this is where this podcast might not work. <laughs> <laughs> you want to find a, something boring to listen yeah, to. Imagine we <laughs> we check the night before and the case downloads it through the roof. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's waking up Just so refreshed. Every race. <laughs> It'll be one of the Jack Rainer episodes. <laughs> <laughs> so that's it. I think think anchoring your focus somewhere is helpful. And so music, podcasts. That's not going to get you excited. Breath. It might be visualization. So instead of your brain bouncing around to a million things, so it's stressed as we were talking about before, when you're anxious, your brain wants to be active and it wants to solve problems. So the night before, it will go through everything that might go wrong, what you've packed the next day, whatever it might be. So um, the other thing is to take away some of that fuel. So for me, I know if I haven't planned what my morning looks like the night before, I'm probably going to be thinking about Mm oh, I've got to do this and I've got to put this in place. Oh, but if I'm five minutes late, then what happens there? Oh, but it's like 10 o'clock now, which means like seven and a half hours sleep. Like oh, it just, you I go down those rabbit holes. All the time. Do you get yeah. that? Right? Yeah. When yeah. you start doing the maths of like, oh shit, fuck now. And then and then your head's on the pillow and then you're just thinking, oh, now it's six hours and 50 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So having a plan the next day. So you're kind of taking away that thing. So when your brain goes, oh shit, what happens? Or what do you have to be up? No, no, like. I've already done that. I know my plan. I've got my schedule. We're all good. Um, so just having that, taking away some of the fuel really. Yeah. Um, and then the final thing is like not getting too consumed. So on that piece around how much sleep you're getting, acute sort of sleep deprivation, we'll call it, doesn't have a huge impact. It has an impact, but the impact is not what we think it is. Oh, that's one thing that you're not debunking because Brett and I have said that a lot on the podcast. Yeah, good. Yeah. Like the, awesome. night, the night before doesn't, night before doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah, so there's an amazing study and not to get too psyche, but... Um, Please do. Go yeah, I probably should. Yeah. I'm here <laughs> psych, <but. laughs> good point. Not so, to talk about my yeah. entire career why I'm on the show. <laughs> so we will go psyche. So there's a systematic review done by... Um, a number of authors, um, so it's Craven et al, but it was last year that it was published and they looked, they took a whole bunch of studies, it was 220 something studies that looked at how much sleep deprivation actually impacts our performance. Uh, and so they pulled all the data, it was, they looked at power, um, overall skilled performances, um, aerobic performance and something else, but it's quite a broad spectrum of performance. Uh, and what they found was they looked at acute sleep deprivation, so six hours or less if you're getting the night before. When from the moment you wake up, you would generally lose roughly 0.4% on performance Whoa. for every hour that you're awake. So if you've got a race at 10 a.m. in the morning, you wake up at 8 a.m., you will probably have lost, if you've had less than six hours sleep, roughly 0.8% on your performance. Wow. So in the grand scheme of things, it isn't huge. Mm, it probably no. becomes more heightened when you're, getting in really competitive spaces and, and those races are really close, but it's not, oh God, I'm tired today. The race is stuffed. Yeah. No, you're still yeah. operating at 99.2% more than likely. So it doesn't have a huge impact and definitely not the impact that we think it does. No, that's, yeah, that's, oh yeah, I'm incredibly surprised. I knew it didn't have the impact, but not that low of a number. And I think for, you know, athletes doing the marathon, you know, that percent, it's, it's not going to, do much as opposed, you know, it's not like Usain Bolt or whatever over the hundred meters that percent. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Well, the, so the race in Sydney starts at seven a.m. So a lot of people will be getting li- limited sleep that night. So it's good that they can hear that. that it's yeah. not going to affect them too much. Yeah. I think it's the biggest misconception across like a recreational runners. It's just like oh, the night before, and they you know often then panic because they get into that state while their heads on the pillow and they're thinking, "I'm not sleeping. Fuck, this is work." And then it's you're in this spiral. Yeah. So do so if that happens to you, do, know that it's not going to be much of an issue. Do some box breathing, which is my favorite Beautiful. thing. Yep. Do you know yep. box breathing, yeah. Brett? Hey, bullshit. You <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, cool. Okay. Perfect. So say you do wake up on race morning and for some reason your legs are just feeling heavy. Mm. What are some strategies to kind of still get the confidence back that you're going to race well when, yeah. you, when you get to the start? Yeah. Um, yeah, so I guess probably good to flag. Interesting the theme that comes up here. So feeling tired, feeling sore, feeling confident, like all these things sit in that same space. We want to feel amazing mm. when it comes to race. But in actual fact, the feeling doesn't hold 
that much weight. Yeah. It's what we do when that feeling comes up. So, oh, my legs are feeling sore. Oh, I'll probably just coast for the first like 5K. I won't take any risks. I won't do these things that I usually do. Those are the things that get us in trouble. It's not the fact that we're feeling sore. It's what we've done with Your that feeling. To it, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And so like I mean, I ask you two because you've done this a lot. How many times have you turned up to a start line and felt 100%? Not often. Not often. <laughs> and if I have, I haven't raced well. Right, yeah. Something I've always like remembered. I've, there's more races where I've surprised myself in lining up thinking, fuck, I feel shit. <laughs> and I've just blocked it out and ran really well. Yeah. And then after, I'll be like, wow, I'm, I'm going to make sure I remember that for next time I'm feeling shit. Exactly. So really, really good strategy here. Like, when you turn up to a training session and you feel average because that will happen and you run a great time, you put, you put in a great session, keep that locked away. Like yeah. exactly mm-hmm. do that. Go actually that made no difference. Like I felt like absolute rubbish. I wasn't going to get to training. Oh, and I still performed absolutely brilliantly. Great. Go to that next marathon and keep that in your Remember mind. It. Yeah. Yeah. Because it doesn't really make that much difference. Is it bad like... Or is it a bad thing to do if like people are going, oh, how are you feeling? And going, oh, I feel terrible. Mm. Yeah. Cause yeah. I, so I, I hate, the question I hate the most is the day before the race, the day of the race is, oh, how are you feeling? <laughs> because my response will always be good. Because I, it doesn't matter what I feel, I just will say good. Um, so I just hate the question anyway. Yeah. And right. I remember at training, was it? When, when I started working with, yeah, with Dean, yeah. Th- yeah. So yeah. one of the big, one of the biggest things um, that it was this was when we first started working. I am the most vo- vocal, and this is what we're talking about, like the peaks and troughs, right? Mm. The most vocal. I'm like at training. I'm the most arrogant person. I'm saying to Brett, I'm gonna fucking drop you today, and like I, you know, I might, I'm, and I might have a good session. I might not. Or then if I'm feeling shit, it's oh fuck, I'm so tired tonight. I slept like shit last night. Um, oh, you know, I'm just ex- exhausted. I'm stressed with whatever, you know, and I'm very vocal talking about it. And like the, I think Brett and I were warming up one day and I said to you, like, well, yeah, we were talking about it and I said, oh, the one thing I can't ever do is is vocalize how I'm feeling. Mm. Yeah. Just because then, once- Then a few times it started going, <laughs> I'm not allowed to talk about it. <laughs> but if I was- <laughs> It was an adaptation <laughs> process, whereas now I'm really good at it. Yeah, he told you, and that was a test. Yeah, he's yeah. Just, just making sure. But no, it makes it makes a difference. But I guess then the the follow up would be: what happens if you vocalized it and then went? But I don't think it's going to matter. Mm. Like, mm. but it's not an excuse. Like, it's I feel absolute rubbish. I'm going to run great. Yeah, like, just see what happens because, like as we just said, it doesn't really make a difference. So, talking about it, how we're feeling, you know. Maybe it's not the thing that makes an impact. Maybe it's we go, oh God, I feel like absolute shit today. Like today's rubbish. I don't want to be here. Like Mrs. is angry at me, whatever it might be. And then you just have a shit one. You're probably pissed off half the people you're running with anyway yeah. and they don't want to. But you're going in and you're probably changing how you're approaching that session. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. As opposed to just go in, just own it. Right, I feel like shit, but I've done yeah. this before. Probably done this thousands of times feeling like shit running. Has there Still been anything care. with you, like in recent memory, where you felt fucking oh, awful definitely. and performed yeah, really I, well? Yeah, I, I can't think of it, but I know definitely I've yeah. had times where I'm not feeling that good and I end up racing really well. So yeah, mm. even tra- yeah, I remember training. Yeah, I was at the tan doing like eight by a k a few months ago, and I was like diz- super dizzy in the warm up, and I was getting like dry- I was warming up by myself off the back of the group, running like four thirties, and I was like, I think I don't know, all these things in my head were like. I'm, I'm fucking, you know, I didn't have enough breakfast or whatever. Like I, I feel dizzy and stuff. And then I was like, you know what? Block, like this is a good time to practice and just block it out and just, you know, it's like who cares how I'm feeling? Let's see how I go. And I ran like the best session of kilometers reps I've ever done. Yeah. Fe- off feeling that bad. So now I'm like, now then I remember like the months after I go to, go to training, I'm like, I better feel bad again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, that's, it's a perfect example. Absolutely. The other thing too is like, yeah, you mentioned Brett that question that that really frustrates you. Other part is like vocalizing that to the people around you, mm. and it sounds like you guys are on the same wavelength. Like you've had that discussion, and but it goes for other people around you too. Like, don't be afraid to go. Hey, on race day or two days before, 
don't ask me that question. Yeah. Like that doesn't help me. Yeah. It's not giving you anything anyway because they're probably asking it out of sincerity. Like they're oh, probably definitely. trying yeah, to yeah, get yeah. something positive. A few of my mates do it as a joke. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. I, yeah. I definitely no, do it as a joke. But yeah, definitely. Like they mean well when they're asking. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, but still like it's good to just go, yeah. I don't need that question today. Yeah. Like yeah. that. that's not going to help. And then it's We have said that from, on the podcast actually. We have sort of yeah. brought this up and just been like, don't, you know, one of the worst, fr- mm. the most frustrating things is to get the message, you know, good luck tomorrow, how the legs or the only <laughs> the only other one that's so bad is where can I watch it yeah. on the, the live stream? Oh and it's like gosh. the night before the race, you're doing the calculations of, you know, to days. try and tell <laughs> people. Oh, it's just like, you know no. what? I don't even fucking want you watching. If, <laughs> if you can't find it out, fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's a disaster. Um, yeah, you mentioned a bit before about um, kind of heart rate and breath rate, mm. like getting up when you're, I guess, like getting a bit overwhelmed. Is that just, again, doing the same things? Like if you feel like you're getting overwhelmed, just one of those breathing techniques or something just to calm mm. you down? Yeah, yeah. I think um, there's lots of different breathing strategies. I, I definitely encourage people to think or, or have a bit of a play around with a few ones. So um, as we've mentioned here, box breathing where you've got sort of a, a – cyclical rhythm like might be three seconds where you're breathing in holding out holding um but generally speaking it's control of breath and usually a slowing of breath and so most breathing strategies will have those things in common um for me it might be like one thing that works for me is inhaling for two holding for two and then exhaling for four so generally if you're exhaling longer than you're inhaling it's another good way to bring your essentially your parasympathetic nervous system up and sympathetic nervous system down. So sympathetic nervous system is that part that gets us up and excited and anxious and worried. Parasympathetic does the opposite. And so these things kind of feed into each other. So if our mind starts to go, we're starting to panic, so our breath rate starts to go up, heart rate starts to go up. And then often what happens, we notice that our those things are happening yeah. and then we start mm. to panic more and then they kind of feed into each other. So often it's just finding that one point where you can break that rhythm. Yeah. And so breath is just a really easy way to do that. Um, if it is more cognitive, like you're finding you're getting overwhelmed and your mind's racing, one thing that can be really helpful is just using what you can hear around you. So I might do this now, like, and I don't know if we've done this, so I might throw this to you, Brett, but right now in this moment, can you give me three things that you can hear around you? Cars, mm-hmm. a bird, my stomach. Your stomach saved you there. It's a pretty quiet, pretty quiet area. It was a very <laughs> quiet area. I was getting overwhelmed. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that was so good. So while you're doing that, what were you thinking about? What I could hear. Like, right. Yeah. It's really hard to think about yeah. anything else because you have to be really present yeah. to hear what's going on around you. And you can use your senses in the same way, like what you can taste, what you can smell, mm-hmm. what you can see, like scan the room for anything blue or red yeah. or whatever it might be, but really locking into your senses. Like yeah. our senses are always working. We always have these things, but we don't really use them. Mm-hmm. And so it's a simple way just to use it to stop all that spiraling really yeah. quickly. Yeah. yeah, okay. I'll do, I'll, I just want to do that activity now, looking at things red. Brett, your face after that, after that activity. <laughs> that was honestly so because the listeners won't get that unless we can get Duff to add it in post-production. But it, we are in the most quiet studio. Yeah. And even I was like, I, well, I know you said to, for Brett to do, but I was doing it in, you know, myself. And I was, I heard the two things you did and I was like, there is not a third sound. Yeah. And then Brett's stomach just went. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've heard one of the footy players talk about it and I think he would think about the bottom of his feet and then squeeze his hands and then yeah. look out on the field and see what he can see around or something like that. Yeah, beautiful. So I guess that's just to bring him back to him. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, thinking about senses, that's like your sense of touch. Yeah. Right? Like we can lean into that too. Mm. What do your shoes feel like? What's the soles of your feet doing? Yeah. Um, and there's some really interesting research on left-hand contractions. So I'm not fully across the details there, but um, tensing and releasing your left hand has a quite a significant impact on that wow. sort of stress response. Okay. Um, I think if you're left-handed, it might be the opposite hand, okay. so it might not work as well. Um, maybe just start squeezing both hands. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hope for the best. Um, but yeah, anything to do with your touch, kind of bringing your focus into yeah. to something other than what could yeah, go okay. wrong or, or the it, stress. It is a, like a 
something that I've only really, really I you know back when I was young, people say, "Oh, just breathe," right? And you just I'd just hear it and go in one ear out the other. And it's like until I actually put it into practice, mm-hmm. where you know, say I'm driving my car, and it's something you know we worked it, and I feel that stressed because you know I you know deal with stress more than you do, Brett. Like I live in this like you know more heightened state of what do you call it heightened cortisol levels or something i don't know nailed it nailed it yeah, yeah. thank Beautiful. you very much i'm very psyche on um and when i feel and it's not like i'm constantly there but i i suppose um i can be brought to that state quicker with things for example if i'm like running late it's like oh boom 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 and then now i can feel it and when i start doing that breathing it's just like holy shit! It's, it's it is like magic, and it just brings you straight down, and you feel so much more relaxed. But like last week, I had really bad hay fever. My nose was incredibly blocked, and then I was trying to do it, and then it's like it's so much harder. Because is it true that the the like nasal breathing is a paras, parasympathetic response, or is that right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And look, it can go if you just start breathing like in and out of your nose, it yeah. still will not be beneficial. Like True. it'll still sort of the same thing. But um, yeah, it's much more beneficial in through your nose, in through your, nose, through your mouth. mouth. It's just in general, that's how it, our body absorbs oxygen much better through that yeah. process anyway. Um, but I think, you know, speaking to this point, I know one thing that we've spoken about in the past is um, state versus trait, anxiety. And, and we all have a general trait level of anxiety or stress that, that we hold. So just a typical amount with our personality yeah. that we hold. Like we might be a bit more up and bubbly. Others might be quite down and, and calm. Mine's at the top of the Burj Khalifa. I'm Brett's. <laughs> <laughs> Brett's is a single story building. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I guess in that trait anxiety, how our state anxiety is will have a big impact. So if your trait anxiety is really high, state anxiety is temporary. So what is happening in my context or my situation that's giving me stress? So if I have a high trait anxiety, that little thing, that little bit of state anxiety, that little bit of environmental can really push me up really quickly um, versus someone who's maybe a bit more calm. Maybe that state anxiety doesn't push them back into that red zone really quickly. Um, So yeah, just a good idea to think about where yours might be as well because that might be why those little things are really yeah. boiling over. Mm. Or if you're someone who's typically quite calm and you find yourself ticking over really frequently, there's probably a lot of state anxiety around you. Like there's probably a lot going on. Mm. One thing I remember, Brett, like when we've talked about this, I think back early episodes, is that you would, um, or maybe you actually didn't ever speak about this, but when you were younger, you would be so relaxed that you would talk shit on yeah. the start line and stuff to <laughs> make him feel more nervous. I try to put pressure on myself. Because I just felt like I wasn't, I would just go through the motions a little bit otherwise. Yeah. Like I just kind of. And for yeah. me, like hearing that, I'm like, fuck, I'm envious of that, you know. Mm. But I suppose it's like opposite ends of the spectrum, you know. You, yeah. You Even can, like, yeah, like make up stories in my head for, for some reason why I had to run hard in this. Like I think Stewie McSwain does it a little bit as well. Like he like has this hatred for people and it's just. It's some made-up thing he has in his head because mm. he wants to beat that guy so bad. But it's like the guy's done nothing to him for <laughs> any reason. It's yeah. just like hates him like, and it's yeah. his motivation a little bit. That's awesome. That's and really I guess we're speaking to like, uh, I don't know if you've touched on this, but optimal state of arousal or, or sort of where you yeah. generally sit. So some people will want to race and need it calm, yeah. calm, cool, collected. So um, for example, like one of my – some of the work I do is in professional sports. So currently working with Melbourne Victory. You go into that change room, there's – People who will have their headphones in will want their own space, want to do their own thing. And then you have guys walking around with a giant speaker, like yelling ah. at people, like shaking people, getting people up and excited. So there is no one. No, not oh, at all. Okay. Like people are completely different. And so yeah. it's good for you just to think about what it is. And depending on what kind of event it is too, like if you're in a 100-meter sprint, yeah. it's pretty important to be pretty high up that yeah. sort of arousal curve. You want to be up ready to go because you don't have time to work into things. If you're in a marathon, maybe you want to be more calm at the start mm. so you don't burn through energy in the first K or get overexcited and just gun it from the start. Yeah. yeah. So just have a think about, yeah, what what might yours be? Like well, what where do you operate best in a performance setting? And then go from there. Then you can dial it up or down. Like that's where that's really cool that you're able to then dial it up a little bit mm. on the line because you're like, I think I'm a bit low. I need to bring it up. Or Joel, you might find like Oh, like yeah, getting um, down off the bird. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> yeah. uh, that kind of does bring us, I guess, a little bit to race day and and during the race. Um, so yeah, kind of tips around like sticking to 
your pacing plan, like when that excitement does get a bit overwhelmed and like Sydney Marathon is going to be 17,000 people on the start line. Yeah. Um, right. It's going to be all. easy to caught up in, in with the people cheering and, and yeah. Imagine so, those people, all the 17,000 people, you know, people that listen to this and they're thinking of Stewie and they're like, fuck, I've got to hate people on the start yeah, line. Yeah. <laughs> so everyone's like angry at each other on the start line. But no, it is going to be, it's yeah, like arousal levels will be something that they have not been able to um, a practice lot of in training. Time marathoners as well. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, so I guess the the first thing that I'll be thinking about is what is your plan and how clear are you on that plan? Mm-hmm. So the more clear you are, the better because when you get in the mix of things and things start to get a bit stressful, you can always come back to that and you're generally going to have a bit of an idea. So even though you really want to absolutely smash it or, or get caught up, you know what your plan is and you can always go back to it. If your plan is vague and you get into those situations, you're in trouble. Because what else do you have to go with other than gut feeling? Mm. And in that moment, your gut feeling is going to be incredibly misinformed because you've got thousands of people running around you and that's not a very human thing. Like yeah. think about evolutionary. Like if you've got thousands of people sprinting in a direction, there's something really bad happening. You're running <laughs> yeah, away just, from something or yeah. you're running towards battle. Like It's, it's literally war. Yeah, 100%. That's so interesting. Like evol- evolution, yeah, wow. Yeah, and so we want to have a plan going in that you can anchor back to. Like, you know, for the first 2K, this is how, this is what it's going to look like. This is your pace. This is what you want to be doing. So you'll stray from that because you're not going to have your entire focus on that one thing the whole time. But at least when you catch yourself and you go, oh, okay, I think I'm getting a bit caught up here. I've got something to go back to. If you don't have something to go back to, that's when you're going to get real lost and it's going to get real hard real quick. And that's what we as coaches, you know, both Brett and I know, this like put so much emphasis on our athletes um, sticking to that pace plan in those first few kilometers. Because, for example, if you want to if you want to run um, sub three hour marathon, right, mm. which is like a, you know, a lot of people's dream that are going to be lining up in Sydney trying to break that that um, three hour pace group is going to be huge, and it's four sixteen per k. Mm. Um, you know, what's well, like maybe four fifteen to break it, something like that. If you go out at 3.45s for the first two or three Ks, it can be the end of you, your race. Mm. Even though you're 45 seconds ahead of where you should be and you think, oh, this is great, it's like the damage is done. So it's like it's so important to not let those external you know, factors. And if people – because there's going to be a lot of people that aren't following plans mm. and they're going to be sprinting out like they're you know, lining up for war and yeah. then you will be catching them at 20 Ks. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So yeah, just have a real clear plan. It's such a such an easy one as well. Like whether you're an absolute professional and you've done it a million times, or it's the first marathon ever, you can make a plan. Like you don't have doesn't have to be perfect, but if you have a good idea of what you want, just make it beforehand. Like it's it's such an easy way to not get caught up. Yeah. So talking about the plan, um, Sydney is not the flattest course in the in the of all the marathons and there's a few rises. Mm. Um, a lot of people are going to be looking at their watch for, you know, pace feedback um, based on, you know, what their plan is, whether it's a plan from their coach or they've decided on this plan. Um, how can you deal with negative feedback where say you – let's use that three-hour as an example. You're wanting, wanting to run like four sixteens, um, and when you're going up a hill, it's going to go out to like 4.25s or whatever. Um, you know, do you, what's your, how do you uh, tell your athletes to deal with this? Because I tell mine to sort of like, for example, 4.15 pace, it's like, okay, allow that to come to like 4.25 um, and then on the downhill, you can sort of get it, make up a little bit. That's yeah. sort of what I do because if you people are trying to hold the pace going up the hill, it can be like, it can cause it yeah, to blow definitely. up. It's going to, you're going to slow down. But I think it's just making sure that you don't panic when you do see that. Yeah. Like, and, that and that's, I, when I ran my first marathon, I remember I was just like, I don't know what the pace was supposed to be. If it was three or fives or something like that. And I was like checking every 500 meters and if it'd be three or six, I'd speed up, get it back yeah. to three. And I just Such wasted so much energy. Mm. Yeah, right. Like it's it's an easy trap to fall into, especially with that data. Like yeah. you're running with that data on mm. your wrist. Like it's pretty rare that you have that kind of thing. Usually most sports you don't find out till after the game yeah, or you have someone true. feeding you that information. But to look down at any second mm. and see that, it's mm. it's hard, it's really tough. And so I guess the 
where I'd go with this and, and one thing that's helpful, it's been helpful for me in my career and not as professional sporting endeavours, but I guess this idea of feedback. So we often put labels, oh, it's positive feedback, it's neg- negative feedback. It's just feedback, like it's information. And the more we can move it to what can I get out of this information, what does this information mean for me, the better we are. So you're going to have an initial response and that's going to be like, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm doing well or shit, it's not going well. But it's not about judging it for, okay, this is good or this is bad. If I'm 10 seconds behind my pace, I'm actually really grateful that I know that. Like that's good information for me to have. So I can get caught up and go, oh, fuck, like 10 seconds behind, the next K is going to be an absolute disaster. I'm going to have to make up time. Yeah. Or you can go, oh, this is actually fantastic. Like I'm so glad I know this. How can I use this information to help me? Yeah. It's really hard and it's a, it's a shift and it's not going to make it feel good. Like no one's going to feel great doing this. But I think the more we can move away from, oh, there's some negative feedback and, and this is going to be horrible to this is information. So it's information there that you can use and it's, you know, it's a detriment having there because it's hard not to look at it and it can have a big impact. But it's also a really big benefit. Like you've got information you can always access. So just trying to see it not as like is this good or bad but how can this help me is probably where I'd shift. Yeah. Okay, yep. that's interesting. Yeah, and I suppose putting that in an example for people running Sydney, if you know you did lose fifteen seconds on a hill, you know you can make that fifteen seconds up pretty easy in the last like five six k. Yeah, yeah. And if you can't, then it was suggested that you were never going to achieve that goal anyway. So it's like you can only do what you can do, mm. right? Mm. Yeah, I think as well for the people that are trying to run like around three hours or the few barriers or where the pacemakers are. Um, uh, what I do, because I, like I know going into a marathon what pace the pacemakers will be running. Mm-hmm. So I don't. I usually put my watch onto what battery percentage is on. So that's mm-hmm. the only information I can get. Mm-hmm. And I don't look at any of the clocks and just I spend the first half just running with the paces, not worrying about it. I know mm-hmm. that I trust that they'll do a pretty good job. And then later in the race, I might change it and start having a look. But I just try to not, because I'm not like, I'm not in control of it really. Like I just let it happen. And then, mm. and because if you try to control, I feel in the first half, you'll end up paying for it in the second half. So, mm. right. And that's, I mean, that's so powerful, right? Having you say that you don't rely on those specific times mm. and, and splits and constantly go back to it. Well, what's that mean for all those people going out for the first marathon or, or trying to do these things, do you really need to use it that yeah. much? Like, and what's the purpose of you using it? So if you are using it, okay, great, it's information, but maybe you don't have to check yeah. it all the time. Yeah. Do you even need to take one out? Like if, if your goal is to just finish a marathon, do you need to check splits every no, you're right. few Ks? Mm. I don't know. Like uh, it's just a, I guess, hypothetical, but it's a good one to think about if you're going into this. Especially things. I think if you're around three hours, there's going to be, Thousands of people. Yeah, like no, you honestly, like you, you can just switch off and get to the finish line and have a thought. Um, the only problem with that, I've just realised, is the, the pace is going to make sure they're getting across the line in three hours, and the people at the back of the pace group yeah. are going to miss it. But <laughs> no, I'm sure they'll work. They'll work that. I out, think they always go a bit under. There's usually a few paces. So yeah, definitely. Fine, but and yeah. I, but I think there's you know something to be said. There's, there's options, you know, there's going to be a lot of different pace groups and there's going to be also non-organized pace groups with groups of friends. But if you are listening to this podcast and you are, you you know, you have a plan and you don't know if anyone's going to be running the sort of same time as you, I feel like if you were my athlete, I would probably get you to find your rhythm, find your groove using your watch in the beginning mm. and then switch it over to a – to because the body has a pretty good idea of like once you're in that sort of flow state – and rhythm, you know that you're going to be able to, you know, keep that up. You know how long you're going to be out there for and just sort of, you know, and you can use the watch every whatever, you know, maybe 5K, 10K as a as a, fee, as a feedback as you said, but you don't want to be, you know, that energy as you said wasted every K looking going, am I there, am I not, am I there, am I not? It's just like shit, it's burning up a lot of energy. Yeah, and constant adjustments which would be so hard to do. And yeah. also like that idea of negative feedback also comes back to, like coaches, like, you know, if you're coaching an athlete and they have a race and there's things that you've seen that could have been better, like it's easy to go, oh God, like Joel's giving me negative feedback and like I'm sure you're framing it in a good way. But again, it's information, like yeah. how good that you get sort of an, an expert eye on things and then you can adjust. So just, I guess, all feedback in general looking at, okay, this is actually helpful. And if it's not helpful, maybe I'd 
don't need to use it. Like maybe it's not not serving me at all. Yeah, like Brett's battery percentage on his watch. (laughs) (laughs) Probably don't really need to know about that as he's about to break the Aussie record. (laughs) But yeah, that's more just because I know at some point I want to look at it. I know if it's there, I'm... With just with the battery percentage, I won't worry about it for yeah. a, a long time. You've mm. got to, you have to make the conscious decision to, to change, change screens yeah. as opposed to just instantly able to glance. Yeah. And I find that like yeah. even in training, like long runs, I swap it off to something because I want to, you know, I don't want to know how long I've got to go. Yeah. I want to get in that sort of relaxed zone. Um, but yeah, I think, yeah, super, super interesting stuff. The last thing um, that I want to talk about that we haven't sort of addressed is managing pain. Because you know the everyone who's listening to the podcast who's running Sydney is going to go through pain. If you are not, then you have not pushed hard enough. <laughs> yeah, but I just don't think you're going to stand up for that long without going through pain. That's true. But you can't move 42 kilometers without going through pain. <laughs> no, that's <laughs> true. If if you're jogging 42, yeah. you're still going. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, how do how what are some tips for that? Yeah, it's a hard one because you're right. Like I think you. It's interesting, even that question, right? How do we manage pain? Oh, but also we're 100% going to have pain. So it's it's a given. Like, and I think that's a really important point. Like it will happen. I guess we can think about what makes it worse, what makes it better. So in instances when you're in pain and I might throw to you both here, when you've been in pain and then you focus on that pain, does that help or get worse? It's worse. <laughs> so much worse. Yeah, right. Like it immediately gets worse. And then we usually start to stress about it and we catastrophize it and we think about all these things. And there's a really, really incredible link between stress and pain. And this is in sort of chronic pain. This is in all kinds of pain that shows up. But when we're stressed, our perception of pain also increases a lot. So if I'm starting to notice pain and then I'm stressing myself over pain, I'm going to feel more pain and I can get in that cycle really, really quick. And so the key here is how much are we focusing on it and how much is our attention going towards it? It's a hard one because I'm not going to blanket say if you're in pain, ignore it, keep pushing and then someone listens to this and has like a broken ankle <laughs> and then we're all screwed. <laughs> all that Patreon money goes to a lawsuit. <laughs> you said it, mate, not us. <laughs> uh, this is a psych talking, so anything physical is not in my realm. So I'm not accountable. Um, but it really comes down to focus. So we can't control the fact that there will be pain but we can probably do something about how intense or how much we build that pain up. So you're going to have to make a judgment call for yourself. Is this pain an injury or, or is this pain that I'm doing something really hard? Yeah. Um, and if it's that pain, then we're coming back to these different areas of focus and we've touched on a few different things, coming back to breath, coming back to your race plan, coming back to even if it's a person in front of you, like anything where you can gain that attention back. Pink Flamingo, I think you guys said before. Yeah. Perfect. Like. What if I, okay, I'm feeling pain. It's going to be there. It's probably going to be there for the next however many Ks left. What if I try and think about a pink flamingo for the next three minutes? Mm. If you get a minute in and you fail, that's fine. It's a minute more without pain. So then switch again. Okay, back to a pink flamingo. Now it's a blue elephant. Now it's the person in front of me. Whatever you do to keep switching focus is only going to benefit you. You're thinking of a pink flamingo and the pink flamingo is going, how much pain are you in? <laughs> no, so it's just thinking of some kind of distraction to take your mind somewhere else a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So just as much as possible, not getting caught in that trap of, oh, there's pain. So I'm going to absolutely focus on it. All my energy is going to go towards this thing. Because again, it's a natural human response. If you're in pain, your brain is going look at this, like that's the feeling of pain. Yeah, It's your body going, something's wrong, freaking look here, like yeah. do yeah. something about it. But in a race, like that's, it's not the time to solve that problem. And it's actually not even a problem because you're supposed to be in pain in yeah. that instance. So yeah, just a way to go, okay, it's there. Again, you spoke, Joel, before about acknowledging, acknowledging it. Like, yeah. Okay, yeah. I'm in pain, I feel it. Where can I shift to? Gotcha. That's something I do a little bit, like I kind of acknowledge it and go, all right, and then I break it down a little bit and go, all right, what is the pain? How bad is it? Is it as bad as getting my arm chopped off? No. So it's like <laughs> what I feel about in my legs How is not you know? really that bad. <laughs> yeah, maybe it is. But, <laughs> but like it's just it's more that my legs feel heavy. Like it's yeah, or mm. my legs feel tight or and kind of it's not really that bad. Yeah. Is that, does that differ in a, in a marathon? Because like, you've said like the marathon pain is – Nothing like a 5K track pain. Well, right? I feel like, oh, yeah, 
like it's I feel like the end of Fukuoka was the most pain I've been in, but ever. I've, yeah, ever. but I feel like because I like we kind of said like you said you think of a flamingo for a minute and you only get a minute worth, um, and then the next time you only get forty five seconds worth. Eventually, you kind of run out of distractions a little bit, and yeah. it is just and pain, also you know that. Like the you know those distractions don't really need to happen because the finish line you know is two k yeah. away. You're sort of knowing that okay, I think I'm going to break the Aussie record here, and it's like then it's like it becomes you probably yeah yeah you, you start know. to tolerate more pain maybe I don't know yeah. Mm. Mm. But I think it's about keeping that f- psyche psyche time again. Um, that front part of your brain. So this is the part that we think with its uh, like decision making. It's how we rationalize. Pain comes from sort of the back middle of a brain. It's attached to a spine. So it's our limbic system. This is the thing that gives us emotions and feelings. That part is giving us pain to try and get the front part of our brain to figure things out. Yeah. So it's mm-hmm. sending us this signal going, hey, pay attention. We've got a problem. And so the more we can get that front part working and active and away from that, the better. Because as soon as we've got that limbic system and our front part of our brain both working together to magnifying glass, look at this pain, mm-hmm. we're in trouble. Like that's all of our attention being hijacked. So as much as we can, if we can separate those things, we're in a really good place. And sometimes, you know, another strategy maybe to try when you're looking for those distractions, you're looking for those things, maths. So I hate maths. It's <laughs> the worst. But because of that, it's a really helpful tool. So if I'm my mind's racing, I'm getting all these emotions, that limbic system, that back part of my brain is trying to hijack all my attention. One way to keep that at bay is if I go hyper sort of rational. So Mm. pick a number, go up by seven. So now I'm like 35, 42, 49, 56. I have to keep that front part of my brain on something. And again, you'll get to a point and you go, fuck this, I hate numbers. I'm I'm done. The flamingo is way better (laughs) than this. You're like 1048. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say it's like 14. (laughs) Fuck. (laughs) So yeah, getting that front part working. That's really... I used to do it with the... um, because the bibs it has someone's <laughs> name on it, and then so it's like say it's Dean. I go D and think of as many D words as I could, and then brilliant, e, mm. like same kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, perfect, super interesting. Yeah, I think there's gonna from this entire episode. There's so much stuff that people are gonna are gonna take from this. Um, yeah, is there awesome. anything else? No, that you- I think that's. I think we've covered mostly everything. I think we've yeah covered. I don't think there ever needs to be a, an, an episode on on performance psychology and marathons <laughs> yeah. ever again. After that, that was uh, fantastic. Was well, there anything that you can think about that you know, parting wisdom, or if we've covered it all? I don't think so. I think it's been a lot of fun. Really appreciate it, and good luck to everyone in the marathon coming up. Same with you, Brett. Hope yeah, thank well. you. Thank you. No, thank you so much for coming on. It's been I think helpful for myself, but helpful for everyone listening too. Oh, cheers. Maybe Brett will uh, be booking in a session soon. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Dean. See you later. Cheers, guys. Bye.